So today is June 29th, 2008. Our message today is called Yoke Fellow. Uh, it's kind of an older King James word, except the NIV chose it as well. Uh, in the pastor's corner of your bulletin, uh, you can read with me, which is uh, Philippians 4, 1 through 7. It's the only occurrence of this word in all of the Bible, but it's kind of our launching point today. Fair enough? Okay. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Judea, and I plead with Sinti to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask, yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The shalom of God will guard your hearts and minds. You know why the shalom of God is a guard to your heart and mind? Because anxiety and fear and worry and all of those things are a gateway for the enemy to meddle in your life. But when the peace of God guards our lives, we are truly safe. After all, if you believe that you're in your Father's hand and your Father is greater than all, what do you really have to worry about? I mean, let's be honest. What problem is there that is big enough to rise to even meet God's level of attention? Probably not very many, huh? When people read this passage, though, because the academic world likes to debate, they debate something. The word here for yoke fellow is zudzagos. You see that? I put it at the bottom of your uh, pastor's corner. And it appears that although not a common name, it's possible that this word that means yoke fellow, could have been a proper name. It's sandwiched between some other proper names. And so the great debate in the biblical academic world is, is Paul addressing somebody named Zudzagos, or is he simply using the phrase yoke fellow? I sat and I thought about this for a minute as I read it, and I thought, oh, what difference does it make? Why on earth is that even worth discussing? If his name meant yoke fellow, and he calls him a true or trusted or loyal yoke fellow, he's probably just saying, hey, you're living up to your name, right? And if it's not his name, then he's calling him a yoke fellow. Shouldn't that kind of be the end of the debate? Yeah, you think so? Not all that difficult, is it? So why would we talk about yoke fellow this morning? I thought, what an interesting concept. Paul considers somebody else, whether it's his proper name or not, it's an attribute that he said was true or genuine or tested about him, was his yoke fellow. I thought, yoke fellow, what are yokes in the Bible? What does that have to do with? And guess where it took me? Anybody? Old Testament. Let's go to uh, Exodus. The second time the word yoke appears in the Bible, but the first time it has the exact same context. You'll be in Exodus 6. Tell me when you're there. Yoke fellow. I really wanted to take an egg and break it up here and say, this is your brain. This is no. Who's in Exodus 6? Rebecca, are you in Exodus? You better get there, girl. Yeah. Church is not so big, I can't see you. Okay, in Exodus 6, I'm going to begin talking to you about the kinds of yokes in the Bible. The first thing we're going to speak about is the yoke of the world. Okay, In Exodus 6, God makes promises to His people. Now, these promises become the four cups of the Passover or Seder meal. Each promise throughout a Passover meal that is done year after year for more than 1,600 years before Jesus, uh, each cup they repeat one of these promises that we're going to read about. More than that, not only are these promises the Passover cup promises, four promises for four cups, but they're also the basis of Jewish wedding vows. So that when we read these, these are the words that a Jewish groom would say to his Jewish bride when they were getting engaged. 
So I'm going to read it first and then talk to you about that. It says, Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. How cool is that? You want to hear it like a groom would say to his, his uh, prospective bride? He would say, I am your husband, and I will bring you out from under your family's home. I will free you from your way of life there, and I will pay a price for you. They always had dowries. And I will take you to be my very own. Ladies, that's not bad vows, is it? No. Uh, as promises of the Seder cup, each one, first cup, they say, uh, I will free you from being, I'll bring you out from Egypt, cup one. I will free you from being a slave, cup two. I will redeem you, cup three. Cup four, that Jesus wouldn't drink with His disciples until they drank it anew in the kingdom. I will take you to be my own people. This is thoroughly ingrained in the Jewish way of life, and yet it teaches us something about a yoke. All of this started with the Israelites being under someone's yoke. The yoke of Egypt, or the yoke of the world, always produces something. I guess I should tell you what a yoke is first, huh? Yoke comes from an agricultural setting where a giant wooden beam is placed across two animals, and both animals are lashed to this beam so that they cannot move independently of each other but are forced to walk in unison. Being yoked to the world, walking as the world walked, being obligated or bound to the things of this world, according to Exodus 6, always produces certain things. The first thing that it will produce 100% of the time is slavery. Boy, don't you wish you could write that in a letter and explain it to some people? Friendship with the world, being yoked to the world, 100% of the time produces slavery. The second thing that it produces, 100% of the time, according to God's Word, is a feeling of worthlessness, unredeemed. It does not matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how famous or popular you get. All the stars drink themselves to death. They all get depressed and a great number of them commit suicide. Why? Because when you're yoked to the world, not only are you a slave to its desires and passions, but you also are endowed with a worthless feeling. You wouldn't think this would be true. In fact, if I gave you anything that your heart wanted, hey, hey, hero, you can have a Hummer! And you can have a room in your house where you can smoke cigars. And you can have a maid. And you can have a pond in the backyard you can fish in. And any kind of boat you want. And on and on and on. Don't little kids' eyes start to light up? Don't young men's eyes start to light up at all they can have, right? And yet you can have all of those things, and because you're yoked to the world, inevitably it always leads to feelings of worthlessness. You know why so many lost people kill themselves? feel like they have no purpose, no reason to be here. They are worthless. Any of you that have ever been close to that point contemplated it. I sat on the edge of my bed one time when I was a teenager staring at a loaded shotgun. It's because I felt like I had no purpose in my life. I felt worthless. I was thoroughly yoked to the world and yet going to church every Sunday. The third thing that always happens when you are yoked to the world, produced 100% of the time, separate from God. God will not be yoked to the world. And so when we are yoked to Him, we're separate from the world. And when we're yoked to Egypt, we're separated from God. So God's remedy for this was, hey, it's okay, Israel. I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. I'm going to break their yoke. You will not be slaves. You'll be redeemed, have worth, and I will take you to be my own people. That's a pretty good promise, isn't it? Yoked. There are different kinds of bits that you drive a horse with. Anybody in here ride horses? No? We're not very much of a country church, are we? For a brief time period, a relative of mine had horses, quarter horses, a bunch of them. And I noticed something. Some horses could be led with a bit, right? Metal piece in their mouth. You pull on the tender part of the horse's mouth and it moves. Other horses had a, uh, a harness called a hackamore. It simply pressed on the top of the soft part of the horse's nose. Less invasive, though. Other horses could just be led by what's called a lead. And they didn't have to have that at all. 
There are different kind of yokes in the Bible too. First one that you need to know about is the yoke of the world. This is not a yoke that we want, and God's people were never meant to be tied to the world. In fact, words like alien and foreigner, strangers in this place are used to symbolize the idea that you are not supposed to be bound to the things of this world. And when I say world, I'm talking about this world system, not the ball of dirt. I'm not going to give up the ball of dirt. It's mine. God gave it to me. And I'm going to inherit it and renew it and see the earth born again even as I'm born again and see it glorified even as I'm glorified and see it set in order even as I'm set in order and I refuse to give it up for some ridiculous Romanist idea. What I'm going to do is inherit the earth. So when we talk about yoke to the world, we're talking about the ways of this world system. Second thing, turn to Deuteronomy 28. We're going to stay in these couple books for a minute. I already put you all to sleep. Exodus 28. The yoke of the world produces slavery, a lack of worth, and separation from God. Deuteronomy 28. Sorry. Deuteronomy. Learn some. Deuteronomy. That's not pour sugar on me. That's learn some. Deuteronomy. Right? Like that? It's Mandy's fault. She gave me the CD. Uh, that's right. Deuteronomy 28. Look at the 45th verse. All these curses will come upon you. They will pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe the commands and decrees He gave you. They will be a sign and a wonder to you and your descendants forever because you did not serve the Lord of God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity. Therefore, hunger and thirst in nakedness and dire poverty, you will serve the enemies of the Lord. The Lord sends against you. He will put an iron yoke on your neck until He has destroyed you. One yoke in the Bible is a yoke of the world or yoke of Egypt. I told you it produces always slavery, worthlessness, in separation. There is another yoke. When you've been freed from the world and you are supposed to dance with God in liberty and excitement and be one with God your Creator and yet you refuse to walk in His ways, He will put on you a restraint. He calls it a yoke of iron. Iron in the Bible symbolizes judgment. If you've ever met people who walked with God and then turned away from God for a long time period, they're the most unhappy people you will ever see. There's a particular rock star, a folk singer from the 60s, who had a very funny singing voice but clever lyrics, who walked with God, went to Christ for the nations and did very good for a time, but because of the fame of a man and the inability to put down flesh... He now does not walk with God. I have never seen somebody who looks more miserable and is yet wealthy and famous and revered all at the same time. The last time I saw a picture of him, he looked like he was walking while dead. We were never meant to carry a yoke of iron. Did you hear the key verse as to why they got it though? They didn't obey God joyfully during a time of prosperity. When you think of a yoke, you don't think of something that is pleasant, do you? How many of you would like to be lashed with a giant wood beam to anything else? In fact, it goes against everything in us, right, to have anything else control our destiny. Don't we say, I want to do what I want to do? When you tell a kid to do something and they're throwing a fit, what do they say? I don't want to. Right? It's bound up in the heart of a human being to want to be gods to ourselves. In fact, this is the very problem that happened in the creation. God places man in a garden and says, you're free to do anything you want to eat of all of it, except this one thing. I want to reserve for myself the right to tell you what is good for you and bad for you. But it looks good to me, Lord. Looks like it'd be good to eat. Seems pretty desirable for gaining wisdom. And we became godlike to ourselves. God looks at mankind and says, I want to free you from the yoke of Egypt. We exchange one master for another all of the time under the lie and the promise we would be our own masters. In fact, that singer I was thinking about sang a song, you're going to have to serve somebody. And it was true. 
we will all either be yoked to the kingdom of God or yoked to the world. One or the other. None of us controls our own destiny. How many people have you known that got a sword stuck through their forehead or something as a weird piercing? Or some tattoo? Or a new haircut? Or maybe some new style of jeans that just look strange to you, right? And so you say, hey dude, what's up with those jeans? Or what's up with that, you know, I never saw 13 piercings in one ear before. What's going on? And they said, well, I just want to be unique. It expresses my own style, right? And then you go to the mall and you see 15 other kids the exact same way. I want to be unique as long as I'm exactly like everybody else in the world. I remember there was a group that somebody in my family used to listen to called The Cure. Some of the first guys I ever saw wear makeup, and I thought that was strange. You know, They need the cure. They're, not, they're still looking for the cure. Something's wrong. Guys are not supposed to wear black lipstick. And before long, I saw kids everywhere in the mall. This is pre-goth days, wearing black lipstick. And they call it guy liner and all these ridiculous things that not only could my father not relate to, but I certainly couldn't relate to. I thought, yeah, how strange. We want to be unique as long as we're yoked to everyone else. And there's a common thread in all of it. We're expressing individuality, but only as a part of the world system. There's only one way to be truly unique on this planet. That's to be yoked to the King of Kings and go against the grain of the whole world system. This is why if we reach our teenagers with the right message early enough, something innate in them is bound up. It's called rebellion. And you think, oh, well, that's bad. No, God can use this for something that is very good if you teach them what to rebel against. I don't want the yoke of the world. And I certainly don't want an iron yoke from God. I'm going to rebel against what I see everyone else all around me doing and become part of a remnant. Then there's hope. There's something holy and righteous. That's why 17, 18-year-old kids make fantastic Christians. They're too stupid to know any better than to do dangerous, horrible things. And God blesses it. I know, I was one of them. That's not the only kind of yoke in the Bible. Let's talk about the yoke of the kingdom. Turn with me to Leviticus 26. So you'll hang a left. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. You're going to be in the 26th chapter. So the yoke of the world breeds slavery, worthlessness, separation from God. Christians who are freed from that yoke and yet will not serve God in joy, get an iron yoke. In Leviticus 26, we're going to read about the yoke of the kingdom. Jews pray something called the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Ehad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. To the modern Jew, it's a cry of monotheism. To the ancient Jew, it was more than that. It goes on for pages and is prayed twice a day. And one of the things that is prayed is, Lord, I take upon myself the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. Because the word yoke, seeing an animal every day lashed to something and realizing the animal was not his own master, he was lashed to another animal and they had to work in unison, taught the Jews something. It taught him that he needed to be yoked with the kingdom of heaven. And they began, or the king of heaven's rule on earth, he needed to be lashed to him. And more than that, As he began looking, he said, well, there is no wooden beam upon me and upon God. That would come later when the Son of God lashed himself, yoked himself to your sin. He said, well, how is it that I yoke myself to God? He said, by obeying His commandments. This forms a yoke between me and God. So the great rabbis taught then that their way of interpreting the law, their way of reading the Word would be called a yoke. And Brad would say, to be yoked to the kingdom of God, you must do A, B, and C. And Nick would say, no, you need to do A, B, and C, but also E and F. And Matt might say, if you really want to be yoked to the kingdom of God, you must never even look upon a woman. There were actually a group of Pharisees that walked around called the bleeding Pharisees because they had marks on their bodies where they had run into things because they refused to look up from the ground and see a woman. Kind of ridiculous, huh? All of this was called a yoke. But in Leviticus 26, we see something described for the first time. It'd be Leviticus 26, starting in the first verse. Do not make idols or set up an image or a sacred stone for yourselves, and do not place a carved stone in your land to bow down before it. 
I am Yahweh, your Elohim. Observe my Sabbath and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am Yahweh. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season. And the ground will yield its crops and the trees of the field their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest and the grape harvest will continue until planting. And you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. Obedience produces something. Obedience produces blessing. Disobedience or rebellion, it produces something. It always produces oppression. I will grant peace in the land. Shalom. A sense that everything is alright with you and God and you and man. And you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. I will remove savage beasts from the land and the sword will not pass through your country. If Israel had environmentalists, they would have fined God for this. Not allowed to remove any beasts from the land, right? Destroy the whole neighborhood, save the little hairy fish. We saw something that looked like a red-headed woodpecker. We're not sure and we have a fuzzy photo. So none of you farmers get water. Isn't that ridiculous backwards thinking? You will pursue your enemies and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase in numbers. Have you ever heard that the God of the Old Testament was a vengeful mean God? Have you ever heard that the Old Testament was nothing but legalism? This sounds like nothing but blessing to me. You'll still be harvesting this when the new harvest comes in. You'll have so much of this left over that you have to move it out to get room for the new. On and on and on. Blessing. Isn't that interesting? And what produced it? Being careful to keep His commands. And I will keep my covenant with you. You will be eating last year's harvest when you have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. That word means hate. When you're yoked to the king of kings, you're removed from his wrath. He sets up his residence in you and causes everything that you do to prosper. How do you contrast that with the yoke of the world? What did the yoke of the world produce? Slavery, worthlessness, separation from God. The yoke of the kingdom and the mark of the kingdom is a joyful service to God that produces blessing in your life and the presence of God in your life. Since we're going to have to be yoked to something. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke enabled you to walk. Hear me, saints. You can even say this with me if you want. To walk with heads held high. What does God want for you? He wants to teach you a way of life that neither produces oppression and slavery or death, but on the contrary will cause you to walk with your head held high, feeling a sense of worth, feeling a sense of power, feeling God's presence in your life and a purpose in seeing blessing around you. This is God's desire. That's interesting though. There are rules for a yoke. You can't just say, well, I don't want that yoke and I want this yoke. Or you know what? I'm going to yoke this and yoke that. I'm going to tie these two things together. I was talking with a couple that is in ministry. They go to another church uh, in a neighboring city. And they said, Eric, our hearts are broken. And we called you because we knew you would understand. We've been ministering with a couple and it turns out that the gentleman is a homosexual. And his wife is broken and hurt. And so, he's still in an affair. I said, yeah, that's pretty rough. Um, what happened? Well, we met with him and we talked to him and told him that God could free him from the sin and restore their marriage. He told me he still wanted to go to our church, still liked the preaching, still liked the worship, but was not going to quit his homosexual affair. He wants to yoke the kingdom of God to something that is of the world and they cannot be yoked. There are rules for this. The young ministry couple was devastated. They're hurt. Did we do the right thing? I said, you know, it just so happens I'm 
preaching on that subject. There are rules for yoking something. Let's go look at those rules. Deuteronomy 22. Tell me when you're there. Joy's there. Where are the rest of you? Joy can be found in Deuteronomy. Before I leave the subject of that other couple, saints, it's not a strange thing in ministry to put your heart out there as a doormat for somebody else to clean their feet on, and then after they feel clean, they walk away. That's not uncommon at all. You can serve people for years, love them, take care of them, change their spiritual diapers, and they'll send you a letter in the mail that says goodbye. You know? This kind of stuff happens. What are your... Uh, alternatives or what do you do about something like that do you then look at every person you see and say casey if i invest time in you are you worth it you could see how you could do that huh go you know i got 10 people here and this one this one shows more potential so i'm going to ignore the rest is that the god we serve the god we serve put himself out there for every human being so that whosoever would call on Him could be saved. I refuse to allow myself to fall into a worldly way of judging people according to the flesh. Paul said he learned not to do that, but considered that everybody could be reconciled to God, and he was an ambassador of that reconciliation. I want to encourage you to do something. Love without limit. Don't put limitations on the affection or care that you will show for somebody else because their behavior doesn't warrant it. We serve a God who gives people what they need, not what they deserve. And you'll see many times in our church life, if you spend years with me, somebody figuratively spit right in my face, and a few months later we're all friends again. We do this because Jesus forgave us unbelievable things. And now the way we show people that we walk with Him is love. Amen? That was a rabbit. All right, you ready for Deuteronomy 22? Rules for a yoke. Starting in the 10th verse, says, Do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. How interesting is that? Lord, of all the things you could write in your holy book, all the things you could say to Moshe while he's on the mountain, you inscribe 10 chapter headings for him, and then you break it down. And one of the things you felt it necessary to tell Moshe is you can't plow with an oxen and a donkey tied together. I had to scratch my head about that one. thought, why? He goes on to talk about seeds and fields and two different kinds of... Jews did not wear polyester uh, and wool blends. Still don't. Couldn't mix two kinds of fabrics. God was trying to teach something. You cannot be yoked unequally. Can't be done. This is what happens. If Nick is a swimmer and he's become a swimmer and I am not a swimmer and we are tied together, one of us is going to sink the other, right? I might have you in the buoyancy category. You can't be unequally yoked. If you can't be unequally yoked, what must happen? One of you has got to change. Friends, you need to consider in your friendships, in your relationships, people that you are figuratively yoked with, your yoke fellows, who's changing who? Are they becoming more like you or are you becoming more like them? What an interesting concept. In 1995, I had a friend at Grave Chevrolet, and I love this guy. His name was Jim. And Jim was a jolly fat guy, and uh, everything to Jim was a joke. So we had a blast together. Jim was not born again, though. And my heart was drawn to him in the same way my heart's drawn to Matthew. Same way that I'm drawn with Adam or Gabe or John or Brandon. And we began sharing more and more time together, but something was happening. I began to laugh at more of his jokes. We read less scripture together. We did more worldly things together. And God provided a painful experience. And he said, you two cannot be yoked together. Either he becomes like you or you become like him, but Amos says it this way. How can two walk in unity 
How can two walk together if they are not in unity? Friends, whoever you hang around with the most, whoever influences you the most, is shaping the destiny of your life. That is a powerful thing, isn't it? Especially when you consider how many hours you spend at work, how many hours you spend on a television, and how few hours you might spend in the Word of God. Something is shaping us. That song said, you might be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And how right he was. He just chose wrongly. You can't yoke a donkey and an oxen. So Matthew and I began studying these animals and thinking about the differences between these animals. But before I tell you that, I've got to tell you one quick aside. The one and only time I was ever physically yoked to anybody other than in football practices, we put ourselves in inner tubes and went separate directions to see who could pull each other around the field. But as an adult, I was working in a chemical plant. And there was a schizophrenic that worked there who was 6'6 and about 400 pounds. He actually got him to come to church with us a few times, had to throw him out. It was crazy. You remember that? Here in worship, he was playing with the girl's hair. I said, you know, if you're in love with Jesus and you're here to serve Jesus, that's great. If you're here to play with girl's hair, I'm going to show you the road. Uh, but I got yoked to him. You said, well, how were you yoked to him? I was physically harnessed to him. Well, how did that happen? We both had on safety lanyards with those things on the back. And this guy had looped around a piece of conduit a long wire pool, about 400 feet. And the problem with looping it around a piece of conduit is all of the wire is supposed to go inside the conduit. And if we are pulling wire and somebody looped around a piece of conduit, I can't get all of the wire in. It's now hung up. And you know what you do with all 400 feet? You pull it back out. And because I had been sharing the word with this guy at lunch, my heathen boss said, let the two Christians pull it out. Well, there weren't two Christians there. There was one Christian. I was just evangelizing. So big lazy Patrick and I tied our safety harnesses to a stick of conduit and to this cable, and began to push against the conduit to pull out the cable. Twenty people pulled it in, two people get to pull it out. So you can imagine we're exerting ourselves a little bit, right? I tell you how big Patrick was? Not very much exertion. He laid on it. And as I pushed, and he wasn't pushing, what do you think I did? Patrick, push! So Patrick pushed, and the rope broke, and both of us ended up face first in the mud. I learned that day I did not want to be unequally yoked. See, I can move something with Matthew, and neither one of us are going to end up in the mud because we submit to one another out of love and we walk in a unity. Patrick didn't know how to do that. And so one of us or both of us was going to get a little mud in our face. As we began looking at these animals that wore yokes in the Bible, three kinds of animals predominantly wore yoke. One is a horse. When you think of a horse, you ought to think of something that is strong but built for speed. Horse is among the fastest uh, animals and it can do it with you on its back. But they're also excitable. Horses spook fairly easy. More than just excitable, a horse is an impatient animal. Have you ever watched a horse get stuck in a mud bog? It'll try to jump around and jump around until it just wears itself out and lays down to die. Horse has got a purpose though. If you want one to pull the chariot, that's a good thing. And you can yoke two of them together and go faster. It's where we get the term horsepower for cars. Move faster. Another kind of animal in the Bible that wore a yoke was a donkey. And donkeys are amazing, compact little animals. They're cute. They don't look particularly muscular. But they're very strong for their size and they don't eat all that much. Donkeys are strong but stubborn. And worse than stubborn, they're temperamental. If a donkey is in a mud bog, a donkey will come up to the edge and simply stop. Absolutely refuse to go. No amount of hitting it, no amount of beating it. In fact, Balaam learned this in the Bible. We'll get that donkey to move. Will not do it. Absolutely temperamental. But two donkeys serve a good purpose. I mean, one of them carried the king of kings into the triumphal entry in Jerusalem. You read carefully, it was yoked to his mother. There's a reason for that too. So the last kind of animal, the kind that is preferable in Israel for plowing, and we're supposed to be working in a harvest, is an oxen. I thought that this was particularly neat, an oxen. 
When you think about oxen, they really are the diesel truck of the animal world. They are built to carry very, very heavy loads. Heavier than a horse and heavier than a donkey. More than that, because they are heavy, sometimes a couple thousand pounds, they can together lean on their yokes and break most loads free. They don't jerk against it the way a horse and a donkey would. They're also sure-footed. They don't often trip and fall. You ever seen horses break hooves? One on TV did not long ago. Oxen don't do that. But you know what else is different about an oxen? You cannot put a yoke on it until it's at least four years of age. It has to mature. See, you can learn a lesson from the oxen in the yoking. You yoked an oxen that was mature with an oxen that was not mature. And in this way, the older oxen could control the pace of the younger oxen. The younger oxen could say, no, I don't want to do that. And the older oxen would say, you don't have a choice. Walk with me. The younger oxen go, oh, look, man, there's some grass over there we could eat. And the older oxen could go, uh-uh. And doesn't this sound a little bit like discipleship? The yoke was a means of slapping wrists. Constantly. But you know what I love the most about the oxen? Do you remember the horse in the mud bog got impatient and wore itself out? The donkey in the mud bog simply refused to go in. No amount of beating would get him to go in. When an oxen, you can see the water buffalo on National Geographic, they do the same thing. When an oxen hits the mud bog and he's starting to trudge through it and he's starting to get stuck, he will actually bend his knees, none of the other animals do this, and take a lower gear. And get down on all fours and trudge through the mud. And the deeper the mud, the lower he gets and he just begins to take a lower gear. You know what this is like in our Christian life, saints? When you meet adversity, you can get worn out with impatience. You can be stubborn and just refuse to do what God told you to do. Or you can wear the yoke like an oxen and you just peel back the layers and keep going right back to your foundation. You take it right back to the Word of God. And the harder it gets, the deeper into your foundation you go, but you refuse to be stopped because this is what you were trained to do. Doesn't that make sense? Isn't there something that's good in that? Remember something. We always just take a lower gear when the load gets heavier. And your lower gear is returning closer and closer to your foundation. Several times in my life, things have gotten so out of whack that I just didn't know which way was going. So do you know what I do? I return to the reasons that He called me. Some of you men that have a calling in your mezuzah, nailed to your door. Some of you ladies that have been with me for years and have been taught about what your calling is. It always comes right back to why am I here? Why did God save me? And what does He have for me to do? And you can trudge through anything that life would throw at you. Divorce destroys some people and yet others survive them. Sickness destroys some people, and others survive them. The death of a loved one destroys some people, and others survive it. What's the difference? Well, there's a whole lot of God's mercy in there. And the second is, when you are yoked to God's kingdom and you just take a lower and lower and lower gear, you can walk through anything, saints. We are indestructible. There's nothing that should overwhelm us. By the way, on this idea of impairs, Oxen were preferred. I told you that. A good example is in Kings 19. Elijah goes to find Elisha. And Elisha is plowing with how many oxen? It says 12. 12. But oxen, it says 12 yoke of oxen. So there were 12 groupings, but each grouping had two people in it. Two oxen in it. 24. This is because the king of kings, the prophet to the nation would take his disciples and put them into 12 groupings. Every time he sends them out, every single time he sends them out, it's a multiple of 12. But he paired them off two by two. In fact, in Luke 10, it says that he sent out 72, but he sent them two by two. What might you learn from this, saints? It's true that we need to wear the yoke of the kingdom of God, but like Paul, we need to find people that are our yoke fellows, or a fellow who is yoked with you to the same thing. Because when an oxen can't pull one load, two oxen can. And if two can't do it, another pair of two with it can. 
And it doesn't matter how many oxen it takes. You move what the master told you to move. In our church, we're looking for yoke fellows. We're looking for people who will pair off in general somebody who is strong where you're weak and somebody who is weak where you are strong. So that when one of you wants to depart, the other says, no, buddy, remember we're in covenant together. And you take a lower gear and you trudge right on through, refusing to stop. A very dangerous place to be in the kingdom is isolated. In fact, you find me a demoniac in the Bible, and I will show you that they were isolated. You find any demoniac anywhere in the Bible, and I will show you that there was isolation involved. There's no such thing as demonic possession in a crowd. There's not. It's always alone among the tombs, separated in some way. Because when we're alone, we're weak and left our own devices. This is why the devil works to separate you from fellowship on a regular basis. It's why your mind is filled in worship with, did they look at me funny? You know? Is he talking about me? Those kind of things. This happens because the devil is trying to separate you. Jesus sent out His disciples two by two for a reason. I'll tell you what else. Most of them were married. So if you have two men who are working together, what else do you have? Two wives. How cool is that? God is a covenant-building God. You need to find people that you can covenant with. Relating to this Deuteronomy 22.10, 2 Corinthians 6.14, it says, Brothers... Brothers, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. When you look at that, you need to understand that the man who wrote it was an absolute expert in the law. And it seemed just as unnatural to him that somebody could be bound together with unbelievers as to bound an oxen and a donkey together. And so he just comments on it as a matter of fact, don't do it. Saints, this week I hope you will examine the relationships in your life and consider what you've bound yourself to and why. Some of us have unhealthy relationships that we need to get straight. Others have a different unhealthiness. Not enough relationships at all. See, God has made us to be communal. He's made us to need to join in vision with each other so that we can all pull the same direction. Relating to this idea of pairs, things being yoked together. Let's look at Galatians 5. Tell me when you're there. Y'all all all beat me there. In Galatians 5, I want you to imagine for a minute that you are a donkey that has been yoked to another donkey or you're a horse yoked to another horse or an oxen to another oxen. And let's just for argument's sake say that you are the disciple in the group. You're learning from someone else's lead. Can you imagine that there are a lot of times that this big heavy beam that has been lashed to you would grate against you? There are times that when you're trying, he's trying to make a left-hand turn and you were looking at something to the right, it might give you a little bit of whiplash. I want you to consider for a moment that maybe what is happening when you're getting your wrist popped constantly is you're learning to stay in step with the kingdom of God. And maybe, just maybe, the people who are popping your wrist don't have some personal vendetta against you that are trying to embarrass you. They're just doing their best to wear the yoke of the kingdom and it's your actions that are causing it and not theirs. What a wise word that could be. Because what the immature person does is say, man, this dude keeps popping my wrist. This is horrible. They never see anything that I do that is right. The mature person says, you know, maybe I could do better than this. The kingdom was never meant to beat you down. It's not oppressive. That's the yoke of the world. Any correction we see in the kingdom, David said, is an oil on my head. Kindness. Incidentally, oil on your head was how you took care of your livestock. Your livestock who wore yokes because the oil was soothing. It was a balm. Took care of ear mites, took care of all kind of things. Correction was an oil on the head. When people don't have the right vision, Mandy read it the other day out of the Message Bible, they cast off their restraints. 
You know how this shows up in our lives? Well, I'm not going back there for a while. I'd rather go where nobody knows my name. That's how that happens. I am tired of being corrected. I would rather just be flawed. Isn't that kind of cowardice? Now, if you wonder, yeah. Proverbs 12 says, He who hates correction is stupid. That's right. Bible said it. I didn't. If you're wondering who we're talking about, could he be talking about, I'm talking about you. Okay? So if you're going to be offended, be offended with me and me only. I'm also talking about me. I've been yoked to people that were never my choice many times over. You know why God would do that? Because it teaches me to stay in step with Him. What we tend to do is gravitate towards people that have our same weaknesses, so there is no pulling against the yoke. There is no hurting. Maybe I got a little problem with what my mom would call coarse joking. So I hang out with only those people that have the same problem. There's no pulling on the yoke there. It's all fine. And what God says is, Eric, my body is diverse and you need to learn to be more wise. You need to be more mature. Yoke yourself to this one. But Lord, they never want to go the way I want to go. He said, but I want both of you to learn to go a different way. My way. See, this is the kingdom, saints. The reason we call this life-changing ministries is because all of our lives from the top down are constantly changing. You know what else this eliminates? Well, that's just the way I am. Well, get over it because it's not the way you're going to be or you're going to get out. All of us are a work in progress, not through yet. I want to be yoked to the right things. Are you all in Galatians? Galatians 5. Let's start in the 22nd verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Love, joy, peace. All of those things mentioned in Leviticus 26. All of those things mentioned as having been lost in Deuteronomy 28 when the yoke of iron comes. Isn't it interesting you have really three choices for a yoke? You can be a slave under the yoke of the world. You can be judged under the yoke of God. Or you can wear the yoke of the kingdom that brings peace and joy and happiness and patience and all kind of kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Crucified. How does that happen? A crucify. Crucifixion. Oh, that's right. It's when a heavy beam of wood was lashed to somebody and he was nailed to it. He never kicked against the goads. He never went the wrong way from what God wanted. But the world tried to slap its yoke on him and it didn't quite fit, did it? All of the pain that you feel while being yoked to the kingdom comes from having too much world in us and it needing to go. All of the pain that Jesus felt was having too much God in Him and the world not liking it. He was yoked for us to the world. He did it in your place so that you don't have to do it anymore. He became as if He were a slave. He became as if He were worthless. He became as if He were separated from God. He took all of that upon Himself so that you never would have to do that. He became oppressed so that you could be set free. We need to think about what yoke we want to wear. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The most important thing that could happen if Mandy and I are going to run in a potato sack race and they've tied our two legs together, is that we step together. Because if I quit on her, what does that mean? I'm a weight trying to drag her down too. We are supposed to be yoked to each other as yoke fellows, never quitting on each other, and all of us keeping time with the drumbeat of the Spirit. This is how the kingdom works. The Jews prayed every day that they might take the yoke of the kingdom upon themselves. Do you remember that the uh, yoke was often a man's teaching too, though? His teaching about the kingdom of God. Turn with me to Isaiah 58. I have a couple more scriptures. I don't know what time we started, but I know what time we're not going to end. Yeah. 
Isaiah 58. There are kinds of yokes. The yoke of Egypt, the yoke of iron, and the yoke of the kingdom. There are rules for a yoke. can't yoke things that are differently together. Everything must be yoked in pairs. This is God's form of separating you from the world, but binding you in fellowship. It's God's form of creating a method of teaching discipleship in you. Now we want to look at God's desires regarding the yoke. In Isaiah 58, look at the sixth verse. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loosen the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will shine forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and He will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, the world is wearing upon them a yoke of oppression that makes them slaves, that makes them feel worthless, and makes them feel separated from God. So what is God's desire for you regarding a yoke? It's not just that you wear His, but that you stay in step with Him. And what does He want? For you to deny yourself so that others might be loosed from their yokes of oppression. What is the very heart of God? He wants to see people loosed from oppression. Our lives ought to be at the service of everyone else around us. To see people loosed from oppression. And our churches far too long, we've, toler- we've tolerated something that is intolerable. Simply hiding from the world. Well, so-and-so is an alcoholic. Stay away from him. Why? He's under a yoke of oppression. It's our job to see him loosed. So-and-so is a homosexual. Get away from him. Why? He's under a yoke of oppression. Do you know what so-and-so did? Do you know how many times she's had an abortion? Well, she's under the yoke of oppression. God desires that we see people loosed from the yoke of oppression. Now, of course, you've seen me do it publicly. There are places where it becomes clear somebody loves their yoke. They wear it like a crown, and they're going to keep it. There are times people cannot be helped. I've stood publicly and said, if you don't want to change, get out. We could use your seat. And I mean it. But in general, God wants to see every chain loosed. And He came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. What do you think we ought to be about doing? I want to yoke with people who are willing to go out and fight to see others who are oppressed, released. You know how you do that, though? You first have to be free. How are you going to go fight to see somebody else loosed from lust if you swim in pornography? How are you going to go fight to see somebody loosed from depression if you cannot put a smile on your face? See, God's called us to something. We must yoke ourselves to Him, stay in step with Him so that we can go out and be His hands and feet, freeing the world and repairing it. What a high honor. Saints, what a high calling. Look at Acts 15.10. I want to show you something else that's God's desire. It might surprise you here. Acts 15, tell me when you're there. Tenth verse. Tell me when you're in the tenth verse. See, I'm trying to get you to talk to me. Now then... Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of His disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? Say, well, what yoke is that? It was the law. Wrong. Wrong. The whole nation of Israel did bear the law. And that same law still brings freedom and it brings judgment. This is not the yoke. The yoke that neither they nor their fathers was able to bear was legalism. And legalism is a yoke that God is unwilling for His people to bear. Not only does He want you free from the yoke of the world that is oppression, but He wants you free from a yoke that Christians take as a substitute for relationship rules. 
said, well, I'm a Christian because I don't do this and I don't do that. And I'm a Christian because I believe these 14 points of doctrine and no more. This is a yoke that will not bring anyone life. It won't loose anybody. And the proof that it is the world's yoke is it breeds oppression. People do not walk with their heads held high in righteousness. They might walk held high in self-righteousness, but not righteousness from legalism. Number one, God wants to see people loosed. Number two, He does not want the freedom of the kingdom of God to become merely a system or a yoke of legalism. Do this and don't do that. How many of you are in love with somebody else? Anybody else? Raise your hand if you're in love with somebody. Something's really missing for most of your lives. Really? Half of you don't love anybody? Not mom, not dad? Love. In love. Love. There is no distinction. Don't split hairs with me. Are you in love with anybody, anything? I mean, i got a wiener dog I love. Sometimes. I want to put a yoke on him. If you love somebody, would you simply want them to relate to you out of a manual? He said this. What is the proper response? Item 13a says respond in this way. Is that love? Shame on us when we've reduced the kingdom of God to a list of rules that people need to follow. I found out something. Throw away the rule book, teach people who they are in Christ, and you no longer have to teach them how to act. You might take a general reminder about a yoke, you might say, ooh, do you feel peace when you do that? No, come to think of it, I don't. Maybe God's trying to lead you in a different direction. Maybe He doesn't want you to smoke dope. <laughs> I had a, I actually had a conversation with a guy about that. He wouldn't know if it was okay to roll a joint for his friend. I said, can you picture the disciples doing it? Nope. Can you picture Jesus doing it? Nope. Why do you want to do it? Because I'm good at it and I wanted to serve them. Are you really serving them if you're aiding in that? Well, I guess not. So are you saying I shouldn't do it? I'm trying not to have to say that. Do you think you should do it? I guess not. Okay, well, do we need a rule then that says don't roll joints for your friends? Do we really need that rule? Or do we just need to say in the kingdom some things are unbecoming of Christians and let each man's conscience work that out? And you know what? That might be different for Michelle than it is Casey. No, it's got to be the same for them. It might be different for Michelle than John. But to their own master, they stand or fall. There's one more thing I need you to understand about a yoke, and then we're going to quit. Turn with me to Matthew 11. I didn't crack the yoke, huh? No, not. The yoke's not all scrambled. You're not so confused and blurred by the message that you never want to come back. You know, the Apostle Paul said, I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have wisdom. Thanks. We all go through kind of a honeymoon period. We do that. And there may be times that our church is like fireworks for you, just exciting. There may be times that it's not. But you will always hear from us the wisdom that comes from God. And when we pray, and when we seek God about the words we give, we're not praying for the most entertaining words. I can preach like a cheerleader if I want to, you know. I can have you all stand on your chairs and jump up and down and shout, and we can have fun. But what good is it if your life looks no different the next day? So I'm trying to do something that's contrary to my personality. Not only entertain you, but teach you. And I want you to understand something. Teaching is not always pleasant because it requires change, and in general, we don't like that. But if you refuse to give up on it, if you're trained by it, you'll learn how to take the lower gear in every situation, return to your foundation, and nothing will ever stop you. When you think about your own spiritual walk, do you relate more to the horse, run ahead, but get impatient and give up easily? More to the donkey? I can probably do it. No, that looks too hard. I just won't try. Are you more like an oxen? Carry heavy loads, sure-footed, mature, cannot be stopped by any obstacle. See, there's a lesson in this for us, and none of us want to be compared to beasts of burden. Certainly, you don't want to think of yourself as a donkey. Boy, doesn't a horse look elegant? 
But at the end of the day, if he doesn't get the job done, what good is it? I'm looking for Christians that will be yoked to the kingdom no matter what the cost and will get the work done, get the load to the other side. Can you appreciate that? Matthew 11. Start with me in the 25th verse. At that time, Yeshua said, I praise You, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because You have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was Your good pleasure. What is the Father's pleasure? To hide things from those who are wise in their own eyes, but to reveal it to anybody who is humble and lowly. What category do you want to be in? Respected and loved by everybody, but stupid as far as the things of God? Or maybe misunderstood by everybody, maybe not very respected, but have a great handle on the things of God. See, I chose vegetables with the righteous rather than meat with the wicked a long time ago. And I want you to hear this next part. All these things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. The King of Kings chose to reveal Himself to me in 1993. And I had a choice to make. I didn't understand that the yoke of the world was slavery. I didn't understand that it was worthless and caused me to be separated from God. In fact, I treasured it and I nurtured it. I cared about the friendships. I cared about the prestige. I actually cared about those little patches on my leatherman's jacket. And God required me to throw it all away so that I could take upon myself a new way of life. And I want you to understand for years and years and even to this year, Much of that has been a beam lashed from him to me with me constantly being corrected and jerked back into place. But in the end, it has produced Leviticus 26 in my life. I've been blessed on every side. I have the presence of God around me all of the time. And everybody in my life has been blessed as a result of it. The yoke of the kingdom is worth any price that you would have to pay. Listen to how Jesus describes it. Come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened. You ever preach to somebody and they could care less? Well, let them go get wearied and burdened for a while. They might care then. Sometimes parents are standing in the way of their own children's salvation and they don't know it. They won't let them get to a place where they're wearied and burdened because they rescue them constantly. Spend their very last dime on rehab after rehab. When that child gets wearied and burdened enough, he will want a different yoke. Take my yoke, my teaching, my way of life upon you and learn from me. If you have a yoke on you in Jesus, how is it that you learn? Every time you want to go a different direction than He does, you feel a little bit of pain, don't you? We call that conviction. When you work to shove down conviction, when you get deaf to it, when your own pride covers it, when you refuse to acknowledge it, what we're trying to do is take the yoke of the kingdom of God off of us. It is supposed to be there. If you're not getting course corrections daily, you're not close enough to Him. Or else you are so holy that the Vatican should vote you the Pope. Course corrections are a part of the Christian life. But listen to what he calls it. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How could you possibly say the yoke is easy and the burden is light if you're corrected every step? Because Jesus is the older oxen. And when you hit the pond of despondency, the slough of despair, whatever it is, the four feet deep quagmire, He simply keeps taking a lower gear and trudges right on through. And all you have to do is take step after step with Him. He does all of the heavy lifting because He's the older oxen and you're trained by the way that He walks. He never expects you to carry the burden. In fact, the Scripture says it this way. Cast your cares on Him for He cares for you. So then, saints, what is required of us? Well, Micah says it. 
Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Our job is simply to stay in step with Him as yoked to Him and refuse to take any other obligation upon ourselves. The day I married Jennifer, the very day I married her, standing beside our wedding bed before we got in it on our honeymoon, I made sure that she understood beyond any shadow of a doubt that I would love her, serve her, do anything for her. But Jesus came first and I walked where He told me to go regardless of the cost. And she's joined me in that. But those are the stakes. And if I feel that way about her, you need to know I feel that way about you too. I will do anything to serve you. But I walk with Jesus where He says to go. And when you make that your aim, then we become yoke fellows. And in this church, we form a core that can serve a congregation, that can serve the crowd, that can serve the whole world. And we might see something miraculous in our midst. And that's my hope. I believe that it can be done. But the world starts by changing one single life at a time. The question is, how much will you participate? Just enough to appease your conscience? Just enough to look holy in front of your friends? Or will you completely sell out and throw off every yoke except the kingdom of God and then allow yourself to be tested by going where no one else will go, saying what no one else will say, and doing what no one else would do because you know it's Jesus' desire and you're yoked to Him? Stand to your feet. We'll pray.